Hello and welcome to my Mamahood Chats. I'm your host, Madeline Carafa, creator and host of the Healthy Hustlers podcast and mum to my beautiful baby girl, Georgia Florence. Motherhood, as beautiful and magical as it is, is also overwhelming, exhausting and a massive guessing game. One thing I know for sure is having a supportive community of like-minded mamas you can lean on is one of the greatest gifts on this journey. And I want you to know that this is your network, this is your community, this is your mama gang. Mamahood is a series of empowering and nourishing chats designed to give you the confidence to trust your own maternal instincts, listen to your inner knowing and truly believe you have all the answers you need within. During these chats, I'm joined by nurturing, conscious and influential mamas, where through their lens, we share thoughts, learnings and insights into motherhood with the aim of showing you that there is no right or wrong, there is no rule book, there is no one way. Everyone's journey is unique and that is what makes it so damn special. It's time to do motherhood on your terms. Together, let's harness our own unique mamahood superpowers, lift each other up and rewrite the rule books. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome the wonderful, kind and super stylish Jules Sebastian back to the mics. Mama to two beautiful young boys, Hudson and Archer, Jules takes a trip back down memory lane to provide us with an insightful and nurturing peek into the earlier days of motherhood. Reliving the sleepless nights, the feelings of anxiety and the crippling impact of comparison, Jules can now so gracefully speak with hindsight. Learning the power of surrender through motherhood, Jules's wisdom is sure to bring a sense of clarity and calmness to your world. Recently adding author to her very impressive lineup of titles, Jules's new book, Tea and Honesty, shares snippets into navigating the world of motherhood, as well as the wonderful lessons she has learned along the way in both work, motherhood and everyday life. A considered and nurturing chat, Jules is sure to leave you feeling supported and heard. Here's Jules. This episode of The Healthy Hustlers is proudly brought to you by Bugaboo. Bugaboo prams are made to lighten your load and turn every day into an enjoyable adventure. Hello, beautiful Jules, and welcome back to The Healthy Hustlers podcast. I'm so excited to be joined by you again. How are you today? Thank you for having me again. It's lovely to see your face across the computer screen. Um, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> I've just done school drop-offs. It is currently sideways raining in Sydney. So it's been a weekend of literally being inside. Um, I feel like we're back in lockdown again. But apart from that, I'm great. That's good. Good to hear. Yeah, I know the weather seems only like watching it from the news, but it seems wild at the moment for you guys. So um, we're kind of bracing ourselves. I'm sure we'll get it here in Victoria soon. But yeah, definitely hoping everyone up there is is safe. Um, It's never nice experiencing that sort of stuff. But I guess we're going to have a little bit of a different chat today. So last time on the show, we really chatted, I guess, about your journey as you know a businesswoman and um, where you are today. But today we're diving right into motherhood and I'm so excited to chat to you about this. And I guess I'd love to start by finding out what season of motherhood you are currently in. Uh, okay. I, I was just thinking in terms of weather then, which season, like, you know, is it the, is it winter? Is it like snow? And <laughs> um, 
Listen, it's a bit of all of the seasons, <laughs> a little bit of sunshine on some days, a little bit of stormy weather on other days. <laughs> no, um, my boys are, um, Hudson just turned nine a couple of weeks ago and Archie is six, about to turn seven, so year four and year one. And they're in a good phase. They're, they're old enough to be a little bit more independent and do more things for themselves, but they're still very heavily reliant on their parents um, to do most of the things for them. <laughs> but they're, they're great. They're the two boys. They're, they're energetic. They are enthusiastic. They are full of testosterone at times, lots of fighting. Um, I, I thought I would, I thought, you know, I'm a pretty calm kind of a gal. I'm sure my kids won't fight ever because they'll just get my energy onto them, but no, no. That boys and fighting is the realest thing I've ever seen. Like, and at times I'm like, I can't, like, separate everyone, go to a different room. And they're like, no, mum, we're having fun. Like, we're just playing. And I'm like, they're punching on and wrestling and, you know, throwing each other across the, and they are telling me they're having a great time, but I feel like someone might get seriously injured. So that is the season I am in. <laughs> Oh my goodness, I love it. It's so funny. I can just like so imagine them like rolling around on the ground <laughs> and, and punching each other but having the best time ever. That is so good. It's nuts. It's honestly nuts. But then they'll have calm moments where a television calms them right down, you know, it would be a movie night or whatever at our house and they'll just literally be staring at the screen and um, no one moves. So the, the magic of that is fantastic. <laughs> Yes, like a magic wand. I love it. Did you ever imagine yourself as a boy mum first or how did you kind of when you were younger imagine your your family looking when you when you had children? Well, I came from a family of two brothers, so I'm the girl in the middle, and then I married somebody who was one of four boys, so and no sisters in the mix. So I am literally the only girl in all of the mixes of family life. So it was very easy for me to envision myself with boys. And I don't know if it's because I was surrounded by boys the whole time. Um, so I, I semi sort of expected and I had I had a feeling that I was going to be a boy mum. And those feelings are sometimes very wrong, but in my case, two boys. And, and I sort of, I got pregnant the first time with Hudson and then with with Archie and I just I was like no this is a boy I've got a feeling they're both boys and I like being a boy mum it's ironic because I guess in the line of work that I found myself in which is fashion styling you know it's all beautiful dresses and red carpets and makeup and hair and photo shoots and all of that and every time I go to the girl section of a store I'm just like this is God's cruel joke to me that I can't buy the chul and I can't buy the, <laughs> the things, you know, that my boys like to wear. It's all tracksuit pants, stretchy pants, you know, T-shirts that can be thrown away after the first two wears because I've got holes in them. Like that, that's, that's my life and it's, it's fine. I've come, I've come to terms with it. Um, but you never know. <laughs> you never know down the track. They might like chul later on in their life. You never know. 
<laughs> you never know. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I love that. That is so funny. And it, it's so, it's, I liked hearing about how you thought that you were having boys because I felt very in tune. Did you know the sex or did you have a surprise both times? I found out. I, I'm not that person that can wait for that kind of news. Oh. I, it, it always astounds me when people are like, oh, no, we're not going to find out. And I'm like, how do you? I, I, I have to know. I'm a planner. I had to know. I, I think <laughs> for my soul and my my preparing in my mind of what I was getting myself in for like I wanted to imagine you know being either a boy mom or a girl mom I wanted to I wanted to imagine it before it had happened and prepare myself that way and then I wanted to obviously buy the things for the nursery and and clothes and name the baby all of those things so I wanted to be ready for when the baby came I didn't want to have to do all of that once they had arrived so I'm so impressed when people can wait that is that I would find that so hard but also on the flip side, I I, yeah. I think it would be exciting to have that complete surprise because there are few things in life that we can't control and we and we have to wait for and we can't plan for. And if you're doing natural births, like natural births is one of those things you just the mystery of it is is kind of cool where you're like I don't know when it's going to happen, I don't know how it's going to happen. No two births are the same. My birth's not going to be the same as somebody else's and that's kind of exciting to, to not know that. And then I guess if you don't choose to know the, the sex of your baby, then that's really a kind of fun thing to have in life that you can't have in anything else. You sort yeah. of know everything that's happening in your life. So I get it to a certain degree, but no, yeah. I'm not that person. I'm too much of a control freak. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I actually didn't find out the sex of my daughter. So we had a surprise just because my husband was yeah. so like, no, we're having a surprise. And I was like, I get a, guess I get to go through all of the other stuff. So if that's the one thing that you want, I'll honour that. But it was so hard for me. I had a moment where I was at the doctor's and I said, you just have to tell me the sex. And she's like, Maddie, I can't do that. Like Ryan doesn't want it. And I'm like, you just have to tell me. Like I can't go any further. <laughs> but it was a really cool experience actually. But yeah, I felt really in tune like the whole time I just knew that she was a girl I don't know so when you said that I'm like oh I really I love when I hear people have that like connection to knowing a sex so Jules I'd love to know what the biggest change was in you personally since becoming a mum I think the ironic thing about that is that when you become a mum you actually are still the same person when you give birth to this baby and you're holding it in your arms Everything changes, but also nothing changes. It's the weirdest moment because you're like, wait, I'm still the same exact human being with all the same traits and isms and thoughts and feelings and I'm still me. I still have the same passions and things I want to do. But then you get this baby and everything changes except who you are. And so the world around you and how you get through it and how you function through it becomes completely different and you probably get more feelings in your body because you love this thing so much and you become this mama bear and you have this innate kind of protective feeling that you've never felt before and this fierce kind of unconditional love and you somehow know what to do. Your instincts kick in and those things are really new. It's an ironic thing because you're like, how does motherhood change you? We're like, well, it it doesn't change me at all because I'm still me, 
but how I get around in the world changes, I think, because you can't possibly have the same life that you had before. You can't possibly wake up in the morning and just get around doing whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it because now you have to consider another person and so you're like I'm the same person living a different life all of a sudden. And that took me a minute to to kind of get because I was like, am I supposed to be a different person now that I'm a mum? Because I still feel like I'm very much myself but I just have this baby now that comes everywhere I go. I think motherhood has changed me in the way where where I once was completely self-centered and probably super patient about everything and now I'm like my brain is is filled up with other people's lives and how they're going to get through their lives and their day and you turn the spotlight away from just being all about you and you turn the spotlight onto how can I best serve and help other people, you know, function in their life? I think I haven't changed. I think the world around me has changed is a very short answer. That is such a beautiful way to look at it. And I, I guess I asked that question because I'm only 18 months into my, my motherhood journey. And I think, you know, so much, as you know, in my world has changed. Like my whole world around me has completely changed. And yeah, I just find it an interesting one of like, I always like to look for the lessons in things or, you know, especially if we're going through harder times or new things, it's like, okay, what am I learning from this? Like, what am I taking from this? And so it's been a big one on my mind lately of like just this this period of time and I guess how I've evolved as a person. And But yeah, I really like that take. I think that's really beautiful. I asked you at the start about what season of motherhood you're in, but, you know, we know that motherhood is full of so many different seasons um, and so many different things to honour. In those earlier days in particular, when I guess it was all new, how did you really honour those different stages of motherhood instead of being overwhelmed or frustrated by not having the life that you knew and adjusting to this new life and world around you? In hindsight, I probably didn't honour it as much as I should have, is my honest answer. I was very busy stressing about all of the things. I was very busy wondering if I was doing a good job. I was very busy wondering how to do it. (laughs) Um, Am I doing it well? Are my kids okay? How do I have a career and be a mother and do both of those things well and probably didn't honour the great job that I was doing because looking back, it's like, wow, I actually did that. I actually got through that and everyone seemed to survive it, you know, fairly well. I think in the moment you're so wrapped up and you're so caught up in, in being worried if you're doing a good job or not rather than thinking, okay, well done you. I got through that day, pat on the back. Okay, tomorrow, what's on for tomorrow? And getting up and doing tomorrow as best as you can. And I think that's all it is really, is waking up and doing your best. And I don't think there's a right or a wrong way to do it. I think it's really just what's best for you and your family. No one can ever argue with that. When you when you go to sleep at night and you put your head on the pillow, like do you think to yourself, okay, I gave it my best shot today. I tried to be kind and loving and 
patient with my children and feed them healthy food and take them out to the park or give them exercise or leave in the care of somebody else who has done that for them and loved them? And did I do my best in my work and my job and did I bring that and and did I try my hardest? I think, I think really that's all we can do. And I think that's what I really take away from those early years where I put so much pressure on myself and I, I wasn't kind to myself at all. I was far too hard on myself and, and looking back, I, I do regret that. I do regret thinking that I didn't do a good job because what's a good job anyway? Like you do your best. That's it. You, you get up, you do your best. And some days everything falls over literally everything where everyone's crying everyone's sad no someone gets sick you miss the phone call you don't get back to the email you feel like everything has failed and then the next day everything falls into place your baby feels better they're very happy they start walking for the first time whatever it is every day is different and no two days are ever the same and I don't think we should expect that from life we should expect curveballs we should expect roadblocks we should expect challenges along the way and when they do come our way you just receive it get through it move on and not beat yourself up in the process of getting through it just pat yourself on the back you're doing a great job a great job you got to tell yourself that all the time that's such a just such a beautiful way to reflect on it and I think you know I'm speaking on behalf of a lot of the mums listening, but I, you know, get to connect with so many of them on Instagram and here. And, you know, I always think like we are all doing the best that we can with the information and knowledge that we actually have right now. You know, the fact that people even listen to podcasts like this, read books, do all of that sort of stuff means that they are, like you were saying in those early days, you were reading all the books and trying to do it all right. And there is no right or wrong, but the fact that you we're even in that mindset of wanting to always put our best foot forward is just such a a beautiful thing and shows that, you know, you are a beautiful mother and that's all that you can have to be for your children really, isn't it? To just show up as your best. So I love that. I love that advice and the way that you look at that. Yeah, it's something that I've thought about a lot, just those really early days of how much pressure I put on myself to get back to work and to honour my social life and still see my friends. And like, I was only saying to my husband the other day, I was like, wow, I just learnt so much in that time now, like in hindsight of how much pressure I put on myself to still show up to things, to go to weddings and look good. And like, you know, like none of that even matters, you know, all the should have mattered was that, you know, I was raising this beautiful little girl. And I think, you know, I hope second time around, I take a bit more time to take that all in, but we'll see. Life always seems to get in the way, doesn't it? (laughs) Yep. But I think that's the key. Just take the pressure off yourself. Like you're the only one doing it to you. That's what I realized. I was like, no one else is, is putting this pressure on my shoulders to be in the best outfit at the wedding or to, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to achieve, have the cutest baby, have the most well-behaved child, like all of those things. It's just whatever will be will be. Do your best. That's it. That's all you've got to do. Take the pressure yeah. off. It's too much. It's too much. Yeah. 
Definitely. And you know, some days our best is our pajamas and a bit of TV and, you know, cereal on the couch, you know, like some days that is actually the best that we can do. And that's totally okay. You know, we can, we have the opportunity to wake up tomorrow and do it all over again, even better, which that's where I feel really honored with motherhood is that we continually have that opportunity to do a better job. Um, I'd love to know if you've read any books, I guess, that have changed the game for you or um, your views or philosophies around parenting. I'm like you. I, I'm a, I have a thirst for knowledge and for learning things and applying, you know, my lessons in my life. Parenting books, I just I just had Maggie Dent on Tea with Jules and she is just an absolute She's like goddess. She's just a goddess of information. Um, very practical, very common sense advice, and very chill. And I love, I love her advice. It's very simple to follow, very easy to understand, and easy to apply in your life. Um, so Maggie Dent, for sure, she has a million books. I think she has eleven, not a million. She has eleven love books. Love it. She's brilliant. Um, eleven. Wow. There's also another woman, her name is Judith Locke, and she has a book called The Bonsai Child. She's all about raising resilient children, so children that that experience things in the world because we, I think as parents, especially nowadays, it's different when we were being brought up where your parents let you, you know, fall off your bike and scrape your knee because then you learn that don't do that wobbly thing or try and go up the gutter again because you fall off and you scrape your knee. Whereas we're like, okay, no, no one's, no one's definitely don't ride near the road. You know, you've got to wear your knee pads. And <laughs> we're those parents right now. So she is all about building resilience in your kids. And I think that's so important. You've got to let them experience things in order to learn. So that's another really, really, really good book that, that I learned. Um, Raising Boys is another one. Like there's, yeah, th- those are probably. Here's what I try and do. I read the books, I listen to the podcasts, I watch the things, I absorb it, and then in the moment, if I recall what has happened and what what I've read and what I've seen, I'll apply that in the moment. But I think, you know, every kid is different and, and every family is different. So sticking to one thing all the time probably isn't possible or sticking to something all the time might be the way forward for you guys in in your own family life but I think take the advice on and then use the things that you want to get behind and and work for you and then just don't try and desperately (laughs) well you know flick through to page 84 and and well Maggie says this and (laughs) because in the moment you're like the moment's gone everyone's lost it um so I just think recall what you can absorb what you can learn and then apply whatever works for you we'll be right back after this healthy break hey mama it's time to make the city your playground with the bugaboo b6 the perfect pram for everyday adventures the bugaboo b6 allows you to discover your city while offering comfort and an easy drive Bugaboo kickstarted the pram revolution 20 years ago with game-changing products that help families explore the world in unparalleled comfort and unmistakable style. 
Today, Bugaboo keeps pushing their products forward by developing cutting-edge new products that go beyond just strolling to give every parent the confidence and freedom in their journey ahead. My favourite features about the stylish Bugaboo B6 is the one-handed fold which makes packing and unpacking it so easy, the comfortable seat fabrics and the larger puncher-proof wheels means it drives like a dream. When searching for the perfect pram to suit our family's needs, I wanted something that was extremely light, incredibly strong and most of all ideal for navigating the busy city streets. The Bugaboo B6 ticks all the boxes and more, making it the uber stylish and smooth ride pram of my mum life dreams. Click the link in the show notes or visit www.bugaboo.com slash au-en to order your Bugaboo B6 today. Time to turn every day into an enjoyable adventure. And I think sometimes, you know, when you're reading a book and you're like, oh, oh, what did that last page, you know, you kind of go off in your own land sometimes. It's like, oh, what did that last page say? Or, But I, yeah, I love that take of like, it will come to you almost if you need it. Like you'll take what you need and apply it when yeah. you can. That's such a, such a good approach. Yeah. I feel like some of the books I'm reading at the moment are amazing, but because George is so young, I'm like, oh, these are maybe ones I'll have to come back to, or I just need to trust that I have absorbed it and it'll come to me when I need it. So I'm yes. going to roll with that probably because <laughs> there's too many other books to read. <laughs> so um, many books. Yeah, Jules, I would love to dive into the topic of sleep with you because as you would know for any mum, that's like the million dollar question. We all want to get our good night's sleep back. Um, but I guess what is your sleep philosophy with the kids? Did you follow any routines or schedules or did you kind of go with the flow? What's What's been the approach Definitely didn't go with the flow. Uh, <laughs> I was very structured with my sleeping patterns in my with my kids, we, and we still have very routine lives. Like I, I think it's for my own sanity rather than theirs. I know it's important for them, of course, but I like to know what's coming in my day. Like I said before, I'm a planner. Um, I live and die by my calendar and what's in there, and. I love the routine. I love it. I think kids need boundaries and structure in their life and I think it just makes for a bit more of a calm life amongst the chaos. And I've always stuck to a routine no matter where we are, what we're doing in the world. Like even on a tour bus in the middle of wherever, country, Australia, Hudson would be, this was, this was his bedtime, this was his lunchtime, this was his nap time and that would be it. And I would not come out of that rule because I know it's good for him. He's going to be the best version of himself. I'm going to be the best version of myself. Like I remember putting him to sleep in the middle of concerts or, you know, in a hotel room. He'd sleep in the porta pot in the bathroom. <laughs> I would just, I remember when Guy was um, working on The X Factor, he was a judge on that and they, they literally built us a room in his dressing room for Hudson to go to sleeping because I didn't want to miss out on going and ha- experiencing all the fun. And so I'd bring him along and go like do his thing and there'd be a live show and I'd have the portacoptus already set up there and Huddy would go to sleep in the room and I would sit on the other side of the door Love and it. watch it kind of from backstage. But I was not moving for anything. It was the short of it. So 
I am a little more chill now that they're a bit older and they can handle being awake for a bit longer. You know, I'm not terrible. But I truly think, yes, it was for them, but it was also for me because I'm like, I'm done now. I am done for the day. I need I need some time for myself and I need to get my own sleep and all of that. And so that really served me well in our lives. But then, of course, once they went to sleep, everyone would wake up. So <laughs> it wasn't like, oh, if you go to sleep, see you at seven and life was bliss. Absolutely not. It was a nightmare for about four years. Everyone was awake. Hudson was great. I remember him so specifically. I got him to wake up at, you know, got him wake up at seven. I don't know how that happened, miracle from God. And then Archie was born and that was it. He was awake. Whenever Archie was awake, he was awake. And I just remember those nights, long, long years of just walking around the house and it would just be literally wherever I could lay down is where I would wake up and, you know, on the floor of someone's room or in the spare room or back in my bed and then I would get up and move to the spare room because, you know, there was kids in the bed and like whatever (laughs) so many years of that and I don't know if anyone listening will take this on but with Archie what I've learned about him now as as a six-year-old almost seven-year-old is that every night at whatever time of the morning he'll he'll come into my room and he'll snuggle with me and go to sleep and I love it now because he's you know he's not going to do that forever and I, I just I love it mm. and so come and snug with me and I'm fine with that but he does that every night and what what I wish I knew is that that's what that's what he wants that's what that's what makes him feel comforted and can go back to sleep more easily because as a baby or as a toddler I would just be getting up he'd be calling me from his room or crying and I'd go into his room and put him back to sleep and it would take me ages to put him back to sleep. The minute I would move, he would wake up, you know, that whole like crawling across the floor trying to get out. And what I wish is that I just picked him up and brought him into my room and put him on my bed and then we all would have slept and it would have been Mm. much easier. But I was so adamant that, no, no, the kids don't sleep in my bed. They sleep in their beds. And I was so determined to keep that a rule. But it was literally years of me being awake practically mm. from two o'clock in the morning, just trying to make him stay in his bed so that, you know, he would sleep in his bed. But what I know now is that even as a six-year-old, he, he still just wants to come and snuggle with his mum. And I just wish yeah. that I had just let him come in my bed with me for all those years. We would have probably been happier and more well slept. But you don't know these things. You don't. I didn't Most know like, him. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know him at that, like I know him now. Anyway. And so I don't know if someone if someone is listening and has a baby like that, and, I, I, you know, obviously not for everyone. If you, if you do not want your baby in your bed, don't do it. But for me, that's what I learned from that. I'm like, he just, he just wants his mum. He just wants to snuggle with me. So, yeah, I wish I let him do that earlier. That's beautiful that you've been able to learn him about that and now you get that you know that special bond where he comes and hops in bed with you that is so sweet I am a book I was reading uh Philippa Perry's book I think it's called the book you wish your parents read and I always feel weird saying the title because I'm like oh that's a bit harsh against our parents but I guess the philosophy is that we have information now that we can read whether our parents didn't have this kind of 
sort of stuff. And you naturally, well, a lot of us will parent or take things from the way that we were raised. And a big piece of it in there, which has been quite nice reading, I guess, just at the stage where I'm at, where Georgia is still quite needy and clingy towards me. And that's been quite an exhausting process um, and quite emotional for me at times where I'm just like, I just want to put you to bed and like have my space for the day. But yeah, there was this huge piece on that around that sense of security and some children like, yes, they might be, you know, warm and fed and all of that, but they just actually need that sense of security and to be close to you. Um, And so it was a nice thing to read. I think when I was kind of in the trenches of that bedtime being a really horrible process for a while there. So it's interesting being able to have to look back and, you know, I'm like, oh, okay, maybe if I, I just got to keep writing this out for that little bit longer so I think those hindsight things, or they're always so beautiful in time, isn't it? But I'm glad that you're still getting that that snuggle with him and that bit of enjoyment of being able to, yeah, go to bed close. <laughs> I love him. He's the best. Yeah, yeah. That's so nice. So I guess, you know, Jules, you're obviously a boss mama. You, you know, you're a businesswoman. You have tea with Jules. You've just released your new book, which is so exciting. Um, and you're a mum to two very active boys. How do you juggle it all? How do you do it? I don't know if I have the answer. I truly don't. I think I could answer it practically and say my boys are in school, so I do have that space in the day where, you know, I've got those hours like right now the boys are at school. I've got time. I don't have to, you know, be juggling two kids coming at me now. So I am in a I'm in a different phase. But anyone who ever says you have more time when the kids go to school is a complete and a liar. Just want to say that um, it is that is not real. You feel like you do. Yes, you have a few more hours in the day, but then your day is done by two forty five. That's it. School pickups. That's practically the middle of the day. And then it's just an onslaught of after-school sports and activities and all sorts of things, playdates. So you're on. Like you're on from early in the morning, you get that little space of time, middle of the day, you're out, and then you're, you're not done until 9 p.m. So it's like it's the same busyness as toddler life but on a different scale. So how do I juggle it all? I, I just I, – I do that. I, I – I've made a very conscious decision to be a very hands-on present mum. And so family comes first always. So I do all the drop-offs and the school pickups and all the running around with them after school, weekend stuff, birthday parties, all the rest of it. Just like every other mum out there, you will see me in the school pickup line at the soccer matches in the sheeting rain. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that I is love the mum. Yeah, that's I the mum that, that. I want to be. Um, so it's truly whatever I can jam into the times that they are at school <laughs> or the rare occasion where I have a babysitter, I just I jam it in. And, and I can't take all the credit. I, I have an incredible team of people in my life who, you know, pick up the slack where, you know, I, I definitely don't do everything. It might appear that I'm well put together and here I am. But that takes an army of humanity as well. So I, I can't do it all. I definitely can't do it all. So I have I have a brilliant team of people around me that, that help me get through my life. But as far as the mum thing, I'm it. <laughs> 
I love it. I love it. That is so good. Now, I did touch on your book, but please tell us all about your new book, Tea and Honesty. Uh, Where did the inspiration come from and what can readers expect? Yeah, I'm so excited to have this book out in the world. It has been a long time coming. It took me about 12 months to write and I'm one of those people that wrote a book in COVID. Do not ask me how I did that. So the book, really the idea came from my online show and podcast now, um, Tea with Jewels, where over the years, over six years actually I've been doing it now, I've had the privilege of sitting down with what I think are very interesting humans who who I admire and I, I watch them do their lives and either I know them personally or I have stalked them and nicely asked them to come on and be a guest on the show, um, probably exactly what you do. You're like, oh, I like that person. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask if they want to come and talk to me. So that's kind of where the whole thing started and Murdoch Books approached me to see if I would like to write a book. And I truly, when they approached me, I truly didn't know if I – had anything to say I didn't really think of myself as an author or somebody who would have a book until I sort of turned my attention to you know my life and what I'd been doing and lessons that I've learned along the way and I think what I wanted from this book is not to tell people how to live their life because I don't think anyone should tell anyone how to live their life I just wanted it to be an offering of things that I've learned in my own life and things that I've learned from other people along the way. And I want people to read this book and see themselves in it because I think there's 12 chapters in the book and each chapter touches on a different life experience. So there's a chapter about identity, fear, comparison, grief, guilt. Talk a lot about mother's guilt in that guilt section. And I believe that no matter who you are, where you are, where you've come from, where you're going, you've probably along your life experienced one of these feelings in your life in some sort of a capacity. My story, of course, is not going to be the same as your story, as any reader's story, but you'll probably relate to something in the book and just what I hope is that when people read it, they go, oh, yes, I know that feeling. And thank goodness I'm not the only one that's felt that and I'm, I'm so not alone in this. And if that person's felt it or if Jules has felt that, oh, my gosh, like there's a way through it and I want it to be hopeful. I want people to read it and get to the end and go, okay, these are not all the answers but this is someone who has lived through these things, survived it and has come through the other side and maybe I can do the same. So it's a hopeful book, I think. Oh, I love that. I'm so, um, as I said to you at the start of the recording, or before we hit record, I said to you that it's the next book in line on my bedside table and I'm so excited to read it. And I opened it and had a quick flick through it and there was already a a section that jumped out at me um, straight away about talking about showing up, you know, as the best you can because you never know who's reading or or listening or watching and uh, that just really resonated with me. And so I'm so excited to get stuck into it. How did you find the writing process? The writing process was, I'm going to say, like giving birth. <laughs> That's Everyone says that about writing a book. It's like you write this, you, you start with an idea and you flesh it out, it grows, and then 
you give birth to it and it's painful and it's awesome and it's everything that giving birth is. That's the best way to kind of equate it to. But the writing process itself, once I had the structure, once I'd sort of mapped out each chapter and, and sort of what I wanted to say, it flowed fairly easily because I had quite, and what surprised me is I had a, quite a good recall of conversations that I've had with people over the years. Like when I wrote down my 12 chapters and those are the things I wanted to talk about, you know, fear, for example, I remember having a conversation with someone on the show about their relationship with fear or how my story intersected with theirs. And so the actual writing of it flowed quite nicely as I got going. It was the editing that was <laughs> very brutal when you send it off to the publishers and the editors and then they come back with their feedback and then you're like, oh, my gosh, this is this is the worst thing anyone's ever written. There's like a red line and a blue line through absolutely every story, every word. <laughs> I didn't know it was this bad at spelling and grammar. And you're just like, okay, back to the drawing board. And it, that, wow. that process was a huge learning curve. But um, one, I eventually, after I, you know, fetal positioned and cried for a week, um, one I embraced in the end and I was like, okay, I can – do some of this but some of it I definitely can't do so I'm going to hand that over to the experts to make this the best possible most comprehensive book that it can be and then once I sort of got into that didn't take it so personally anymore yeah I embraced I embraced the process and by the time the last sort of read through and the last round of editing came my feelings weren't as hurt I wasn't so offended by what the editors were saying you're just sort of like okay nope give it to me, make this the best it can be, go back and change things. And it's like having a school assignment or a university assignment in the back of your head for like an entire year where you're like, oh, anytime oh no, you're like, yeah, anytime you have a spare 10 minutes where you think you've got nothing to do, you're like, oh, I should be writing, I should be writing, I should be editing, I should be doing something. It's like that the whole time until you – hand it over for the last time and you're like okay now I can breathe oh that is so oh my goodness the thought of a school assignment just like oh my goodness my my skin was like crawling when you said that that's so funny (laughs) um I'd love to finish off our chat you did mention you know that you speak about the mum guilt in the book do you have any top tips I guess for for managing that feeling these days I was a massive sufferer of mother's guilt. I just put myself through the ringer. Like I said earlier, I was not kind to myself in those earlier days. I, I really wasn't. I I just thought if I'm not doing everything perfectly and well, then I'm a complete failure at all things. And that is sort of how I talked to myself when my kids were young, like newborn and toddler. And with that, I think was lumped into all of those feelings was that guilty feeling where when you go to work you felt guilty about wherever your kids were daycare nanny babysitter I would put myself through the absolute ringer on that like I should be at home with my kids I they should have their mum right now I'm the one that should be taking care of them how selfish of me to to go off and try and have this career and all of those that self-talking really very very unkind and then when I was at home you know, and you're 
sort of when you run your own business, you're the business. So without you, can't, there's no forward motion. If you're just having a, a day off, quote, unquote, with the children, which is not a day off at all, it is like that school assignment in the back of your head. You're like, okay, well, once these kids go to bed, that's when my working day will begin because I haven't been able to get to the emails or the phone call or I've got to get, you know, that, all of that. And so it's just you'll feel guilty about the person that's waiting for you to get back to them or you put that guilt on top of yourself because you're like, I'm now behind by an entire 24 hours. And it's like a, a losing battle all day, every day, because no matter where you are, you feel guilty. If you're away from your kids, if you're with your kids, like it's just this whole like process. And I think in hindsight, again, hindsight's such an amazing thing. But I think looking back, it's all about that taking that pressure off and just going, you know what? I'm going to do my best with what I've got. And if it means I'm behind or if it means that I have to stay awake till midnight, so be it. And choosing what you want. And I think, I think that's what I kind of got to where I said my family is my priority. That, that became very clear to me that that's what I wanted to do. And so setting those boundaries and those priorities in place at an early stage and just going, okay, I'm in toddler and newborn phase. This is happening to me one time. It's going to change and shift and morph. And that's the thing I really learned about motherhood is that every stage and phase is different, which means your life morphs into something new so many times throughout your mothering career. It's not like this forever. The newborn toddler phase isn't forever. It does pass. It feels like it's forever in the time because the days are so long, but it's not forever and you do get through it. And my advice to myself, if I was giving myself advice, you know, back then would just be just surrender to it. Just surrender. Don't try and control everything and do everything and be everything and stress yourself out. Do what you can. And this too shall pass and you're going to be fine. So don't put yourself through the ringer and stop feeling guilty about everything. I know you said you were saying that to yourself, but I definitely took all of that on board and really needed that. So thank you so much um, for this beautiful chat. Definitely was like calling a girlfriend today and I so appreciate that. You have just got the warmest, beautiful and most beautiful energy, Jules. So thank you for joining me and giving us all your wisdom. And now where can the listeners get a copy of your new book, Tea and Honesty? Well, I'm so excited for everyone to have it and read it. And I keep saying this is like a warm hug from me to you. I hope that like when you read it, you feel a nice squeeze from me. (laughs) Um, so you can get it at all good bookstores. How many times do you ever get to say that in your life? At all good bookstores. Yay. It's out there. Wherever you buy books, go and get it. You can get it online, Booktopia. Yeah, go and get it. I hope you enjoy it. I truly appreciate you having me on the podcast. I love your podcast. I listen to it. It's, it's full of such great tips and wisdom and great guests. So thank you for including me. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me again. I always love chatting to you. And yeah, I can't wait to read the book very soon. I've got one chapter left of my my last book and I'm on to yours. So I can't wait. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a five-star review. For any products mentioned in today's show, please check the show notes below and hit the direct links. If you'd like to suggest a future guest, please follow at The Healthy Hustlers on Instagram and send through a direct message. Until next week, don't forget to invest in you.